That's cool. Thank you. I don't know. Grab me a table for my hot water because it's cold. So I drink water that is hot. <laughs> I could just put. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Awesome. It is the 1st of December. And Sharon's got the memo because Christmas jumpers on. Well done. This is very, very good. Well, it's great to be here this morning with you guys. I'm still warming up. Forgive me, but it'll be cool. It's fantastic. So we have come to, I guess last week was the last in our slowdown series. Yeah, last week. Tunji was speaking last week, wasn't he? So this morning, I want to talk to you about speeding up. This is what we're going to do, so <laughs> we're going to do it really quickly. We'll be over in five minutes because we've slowed down too much. <laughs> no, but it's really great. I don't know about you, but I feel like it took me about halfway through the series for it to kind of actually begin to take effect. It was like, oh, yeah, 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 cool, cool. We're slowing down, but it takes a while for you to actually, like, I guess, work out. And I was like, oh, yeah, actually, that that means something. It means, like, I actually have to change my behavior. Like, it actually means doing things a bit differently. Um, it means slowing down, like, like, actually slowing down. And so I feel like even though we've We've ended. It kind of has only just begun. It's almost like you, it's after you finish your studies that you kind of go and put it into practice when you get a job or whatever it is. So, yeah, let's not do away with slowing down, but let's really take a hold of it as a way of life. Because slowing down is not necessarily something we do, but it's how we do things. So, a lot of things, I mean, you know, this day and age, when you read articles or books, they're all about how to do life. Not necessarily what to do, but how to do it. One of the biggest things with millennials is they don't like being told what to do. Yes, I would know. I'm a millennial. Don't tell me what to do. No, I'm kidding. I kid. You can tell me what to do. But they don't like being told what to do because there is so much information out there. Like, if I want to know something, I can go on Google and find out in less than two seconds. But what they do want to know is how to make good decisions. So it's don't tell me what to do, but help me to learn how to discern how to pick out from all the information I've got what's right and what's wrong. So parents out there of millennials, they're just throwing that in for you. Helpful tip. Um, help your kids discern how to do life and not necessarily telling them what to do because they tend to run in the other direction. But there's grace. We come back home. There is grace. And so slowing down is is a way of doing life and there are so many things we can talk about and how we can live life. But Paul gives us a really, really good way to do that. And he says in the Passion Translation, and now I will show you a superior way to live that is beyond comparison. In 1 Corinthians twelve thirty-one, who knows what this way of life is? The way of love. I will show you a superior way to live that is beyond comparison, and that is the way of love. So let's go to the next chapter following on from that verse, which is 1 Corinthians and chapter 13. And let's read it together. So if you have a Bible, 
or a Bible device thing. Let's read. I'll, I'll read from, from chapter 12 and verse 31 and then we'll go into, into chapter 13. Okay. But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Amen. Let's just let that sink for a minute. You might want to close your eyes or just take a moment to breathe in and breathe out and just think about those words. Love is patient, love is kind. Without love, we are nothing. Just let that sit for a while. You know that passage is read lots at weddings. Tends to be a a cool thing to read when people are getting married because you're trying to warn them. Be like, you know, you're going to need to be patient. You're going to have to need to endure. Everyone's looking, thinking, who's the one who's going to have to be most patient towards the other? But that tends to be the case. However, if we, and it's a great poetic piece of scripture. It's absolutely wonderful. Stick it on your wall. Read it at weddings. It's great. But if we look at the context in which actually Paul was writing this letter so he was writing to the church in Corinth which he had planted a couple of years before and he started to receive news about how they were acting up basically and there was all kinds of crazy things going on people were sleeping around someone was sleeping with their mother-in-law and all 
kinds of craziness. People were um, tagging along their favorite preacher and then bad-mouthing the other preachers because it's like, oh, I follow this one and you follow that one and this one's better than that one. And, and just really, really weird. People were using their gifts in the wrong way, making themselves seem more important than others, disrupting the meetings. It was pretty much chaos. And so the context in which Paul is writing this letter wasn't, it wasn't in the nice wedding ceremony, but it was actually because stuff wasn't going well and the people of God were not living together the way they were supposed to. It was like you're not living in the way that Christ has called you to live together. And so he highlights throughout the book of 1 Corinthians all these different things that are going wrong. And, and he underpins them by, by pointing them to the gospel and saying, look, this is what the gospel says and this is how you should live. And the foundation of all that, he comes to this beautiful passage and he says, it's the way of love. Because the gospel is the gospel of Jesus and God is love. And so love underpins everything that you could possibly do you can have all these wonderful gifts and do these amazing things and be doing miracles and sacrificing yourself for the sake of others but if there's no love it's nothing and this is the message he was trying to get across to these people you know it's interesting isn't it how um we can do so many things but um sometimes if we if we really dig deep and we think about why we're doing them or what the motivation behind it is. It isn't always love. And so I am, I don't know if you ever heard of the Enneagram. It's another one of these personality tests. And, and one of mine is like you have all of them, but you're, you're, you're stronger in some than others. And one of mine is a number two, which is a helper, which means I like to help people. Which is, you know, yes, I can like to help people. Like, so I went into the, into the profession I did in pharmacy. I was like, I want to help people, give people good medicine and make them all better. But the flip side to that, or the, so say the ugly side of that is sometimes I will want to help people. Not because, like, I'm just, just bear with me, just confessing my sins to brothers and sisters in the Lord. So you may be forgiven and healed. But sometimes I will do something, not because... I actually want to help, but because I want to appear helpful. Does that make sense? I want everyone to think, oh my gosh, look under this. Oh, she's just, look at her serving the Lord. She's just so helpful. And so sometimes, you know, after the meetings, I must confess. I'll be hoovering up, just smiling. And then, you know, someone is sat down and you're like hoovering next to their legs. (laughs) Oh, just, yeah, bless you. Do you need any help? No, I'm fine. I'm fine. And I'm like, in, what's going on inside is just, it's just all wrong. When I first got married, I was like, okay, I'm going to be the best wife ever. And I would like clean and, and, and make it all look really, really great. And then Tammy would come home and wouldn't notice a thing and like didn't say thank you. And I'd be really annoyed because how did you not notice everything that I did? What is wrong with you? And then I realized, hang on a minute, hang on, hang on. Are you doing this because you love him and you love your home or simply because you want him to think you're great? And actually, my motives were super selfish, really, really selfish. There's a part in scripture where it says, you know, our works will be tested by fire. Some will be gold, silver, straw. And that was one of those that is like, you test what I did, it's just straw. It's burnt up because actually the motivation behind it was selfish and was wrong. It's, um, I think it was Mother Teresa who said, I am not sure exactly what heaven will be like, 
But I know that when we die and it comes, for ti- it comes time for God to judge us, he will not ask, how many good things have you done in your life? Rather, he will ask, how much love did you put into what you did? That's quite a challenge, isn't it? How much love did you put into what you did? You see, love is the thing that motivates us actually to obey God in the first place. The only way we are able to love is because Christ first loved us. And so as we receive his love and we love him back, we're able to love one another rightly. One of the things um, about love is, is just that actually in and of our own strength, we can't love right. We can't manufacture love because then it it just becomes false and then it becomes based upon what people do so if you do something good to me I love you if you don't do something good to me I don't love you but actually love goes beyond that love covers a multitude of sins love is so pure it's so kind it's so patient and it's the absolute basis and epitome of who Jesus is Today is Advent Sunday and and, and it's a period of saying, come Lord Jesus and we're beckoning his arrival. And when Jesus came into the world, love came down. Love embodied came down. And we're to walk in the way of love, which is the way Jesus calls us to. You know, love is eternal. I love that. It says in verse 8, love is eternal. So love has no beginning and it has no end. Whereas prophesying, preaching, teaching, all these things will at some point stop they will come to an end but love doesn't and so it's the things that I do in love that have eternal value not the things that I do not in love the things I do in love have eternal value not the things that I do that are not in love and so Paul tells us in in chapter 14 in the first two words pursue love he says desire the gifts eagerly seek after them because they're for the building up of the body but first and foremost pursue love pursue it chase after it don't sit down and wait for the moment when you're feeling up to it because actually that's not love because love is not a feeling it is a choice It's a decision to pursue connection. And when we are not pursuing connection, we are are pursuing disconnection. Unintentionally, if we're not moving, we we don't stay still. So if we're not moving closer together, we are moving apart. Like you can't be on the fence with it. That tends to happen whether we like it or not. And so pursue love, but we're empowered to do that because Jesus first loved us. And one of the things I found is that actually... Scripture says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength. When I don't love myself, I'm unable to love others. And that's true. Because when I don't have a right view of how God sees me, it's impossible for me to have a right view of how he sees someone else. It doesn't work. If I am full of insecurities and I'm full of you know, judging myself and and, and trapped in condemnation or I'm not just allowing myself to grow and giving myself room and space to breathe, I will not be able to do that for others because I will inevitably hold them up to the same standard I hold myself up to, which isn't the right standard. 
So I have to first and foremost ensure that I am remaining in the love of God and I know how much because when that is right, love will flow. It just happens because I fully understand the grace of God towards me that I can't help but extend that to others. But we tend to do it the other way around. We tend to want to love others and, and it's, it's effort on this side. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm really trying to love but you're really annoying me. It's like, oh, I'm trying to muster it all up. When actually, in order to love, we have to go to the source of love. And you know, the love of God is given freely and so as we freely receive from him then we are able to freely give away the love that God gives to us I have to know and have to receive the love that God has for me enable to love others it's like that analogy of being in an airplane when the pressure, you know, I watched a movie the other night just before I went to bed about this plane that crashed. I probably shouldn't because I didn't sleep. It was so nerve-wracking. But anyway, don't do that. Don't watch movie, scary movies before you go to bed. Um, but, you know, the cabin pressure dropped and the thingies came down. And, and, you know, they say, put your mask on first before you help the person next to you. And we think, oh, my gosh, how unchristian is that? Like, of course, you, you need to put others before you and, you know, sacrifice yourself. And it's like, well, actually... I won't be able to help you if I don't put on my mask because I will be dead because I would have like suffocated and there's nothing, there's nothing else for me to give. And so I have to first and foremost, and actually me sometimes, you know, in our, when the, when scripture says to put one another before, before ourselves, it's not saying love someone else more than you love yourself because I don't think we're even capable of doing that. It says love your neighbor as you love yourself. So prefer one another's, but you do not devalue yourself to prefer someone else. There's a difference. Because you understand your value, you understand their value. And so you are both, you know, valued. So you are empowering one another. But actually, if you begin to devalue yourself for the sake of others, you will begin to resent those people rather than love them. And that's not their fault. That's your fault because of what has gone on in here and what we've done. I'm constantly, um, you know, shoving myself under the bus for others' sake in the name of love when actually that's, that's not love. That's not love because God has called us to live in truth and has called me to live out of the overflow of what he is doing in me and not just me working stuff up. And we say all the time, we are loved lovers, loving others. And there is an order, there is an order to that. It's so important that we are those who understand that God loves us. Because otherwise we will continue in our own strength, striving in the flesh, trying to muster something up that just isn't real. It's not real and it's not possible to love people because people are annoying. I am annoying. (laughs) I am. I know myself. I'm like, oh my gosh, if I was my best friend, I would be really annoyed. But that's the thing. One of my best friends, she gets on my nerves. She's like, we're always going through the same cycle. It's like every time we hang out, I'm like, we've been through this before. Like, why are we always going on in circles? Like a particular thing she struggles with. And I'm like, and sometimes, and this is what the enemy will do. When you're frustrated with someone, he'll try and make you believe you don't love them. Because just because you're f- feeling frustrated, but just because you're feeling some, this is why love isn't a feeling. Just because you're feeling frustrated with someone does not mean you don't love them. This is where love kicks in. Love delights in the truth. So I can feel frustrated, but because I love you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay here and I'm going to tell you the truth. And we're going to get through this. And so 
we go through this same cycle every time and I'll begin to think to myself, oh my gosh, Lakunda, you're not loving. She's not your best friend. This is bad. Oh my gosh. But then we get through it and I'm like, well, I'm still here. So of course I love her because otherwise I would have left. It's so much more than a feeling. But love does not avoid confrontation. It doesn't, it doesn't pander over the cracks. Love covers, but it doesn't cover up, like you say. And when we come to living together, you know, as the people of God, actually, if we are to live in love and if we are to pursue love, we're called to be patient and we're called to live in truth. We're called to tell each other the truth in love. We are called to, to be patient but to also not allow each other to fall by the wayside. And actually to be like, you know what? You're better than that. Like, I know you. You're better than that. This is not you. Come on. Let's do better. And let's go. It's not love to say, oh, yeah, it's all right. We all make mistakes. And then you just leave the person there. That's evil. Don't do that to one another. And it doesn't feel nice at the time. Trust me, I'm like the worst for taking criticism. But I know that I need it in order to grow. And I need to be able to give it in love in order for us to grow together. Love doesn't pander over the cracks. Love doesn't avoid difficult situations. If, if, if Paul wrote to the church, and this is what they were doing, so the, the, one of the guys was sleeping with his mother-in-law or stepmother, and, and, they were, and, and, and some of the people were going to the cult uh, temples and sleeping with prostitutes, and they were saying that, oh no, because of the love of God, there is grace, and we, we, there is freedom in Christ, and so we can do anything because there's no condemnation. And there is that, you can say that. You can be like, oh no, it's just the love of, you know, it's fine. God loves us all. We can make mistakes. But you carry on. It's like, no, no, no. Shall we continue to sin because grace abounds? God forbid. The love of God empowers us to live right. And so Paul comes and says, look, this is not who you are. You are better than this. You have been called to live in holiness. And that is where you find your joy, like Russ said before. The happiness, true happiness is found in the holiness of God. And so he pulls him out and he says, no, you cannot excuse any and every behavior in the name of the grace of God. It's the opposite. Grace empowers you to live the life that God has called you to live. Some of them, and so we must address, we must address these things. Because that's what love does. And that's how we grow. And that's what Jesus did to us. When we were lost in our sin, and when we were in the muck and in the dirt, love came down and rescued us. He said, I love you too much, and I do not want you to spend an eternity away from me. So I'm going to give my life. I'm going to die on a cross for your sins, so you can be forgiven and you can have eternal life. That's love. That's Jesus. And that's the basis of our faith. If you haven't made a decision to follow him, then you can. It's as easy as accepting that and saying, Jesus, I believe that you came to die for my sins. I confess and I want to live life your way. Come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. And he changes everything in an instant. Love refuses to leave us where we are, but takes us higher to where we should be. Some of the people in, in that passage were eating meat that was sacrificed to idols because again, you know, Paul says everything is permissible but not everything is beneficial. They were like, well, we're free in Christ. We can eat this meat which is sacrificed to idols because idols are not really real and, you know, they don't have any power. But then there were some younger Christians in their faith who were like, oh, if you're eating that meat, 
they were looking at older Christians. If you eat that meat, that means I can eat that meat. But then I'm confused. Does that mean I'm, I'm worshiping an idol? And ooh. and Paul says, because you love your brother, even though you know it's okay, don't do it. Yeah. And that's love. You don't do it because you don't want them to get confused and fall by the wayside. So don't do it because you love your brother. Everything we do, the way we are called to live is to live in love. In Colossians, it tells us how to live Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, yeah. Learned a song to figure out the order of this, to sing in my mind. In Colossians and chapter, chapter three, Paul tells us again how to live as God's holy people. And he tells us from verse 12 to put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And that's how we are called to live. The most excellent way. Above the number of dishes we could wash, floors we could mop, or carpets we can hoover, if we're not doing it in love, it's nothing. Romans 5, 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. It's a supernatural thing that we can experience God's love. And so when we're feeling low on God's love or feeling super irritated with everyone, rather than trying to like, condemn ourselves you just go back to God and say look Jesus I'm struggling but I want to receive your love so Holy Spirit pour out your love afresh in my heart so I know that I'm loved and I can love those around me because you are love and you've called me to live in love and there's a really encouraging passage in Jude verse 20 I got it here Jude verse 20 But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to an eternal life. As we pray in the Spirit, we build ourselves up and we keep ourselves in the love of God. So when I'm not feeling necessarily up to it and I begin to notice that my motives are not right, actually I can go to God and I can pray in the spirit. I can seek him and I can build myself up. Because again, it doesn't just happen automatically. It's not like kind of an osmosis thing. But I have to go to God. I have to go to the source. And I have to say, and actually, as I go to the source, there'll be certain things that I stop doing. There'll be certain things that I give up because sometimes we're doing stuff, we can find that we're doing stuff just to impress people, like, like, like in my example, or to come across a certain way. And actually we begin to realize, and God's like, no, you don't need to do that anymore. And we may find that we're actually doing less, but we're doing things that are more meaningful because we're doing them with the right intention and the right heart. We're doing things that God has actually designed us to do and created us to do because we're all unique, we're all gifted, and we're all put on this earth for a purpose. But we find that in him in his love. We find that as we, as we go to him. 
And as we go to him, he begins to show us the areas that we're, we're lacking. And I remember that just a few days ago, I was struggling in something and I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And I was like, God, there's just something, I don't know what's going on. And so it just, just was worshiping and just, you know, put myself in that place to allow God to speak to me. And I heard as clear as day, Lukunda, you're jealous. I was like, oh, okay. I didn't know, I didn't know that that's what I was experiencing. And I was like, what? Well, where did that come from? Why am I doing that? And he said, look under you're experiencing jealousy, which is why you are not able to properly celebrate with other people when they do well. And you are putting on a front because you know what that's what you should do as a Christian is to be like, oh yeah, great. So happy for you. You know, that's what you should do, but you're not actually, and the reason you are, um, um, you are not giving room for people to, to, to I guess, to, to share in what you are doing is because you somehow feel as though if they're doing well, it takes away from what you are doing. And, you know, it's like if someone pays someone else a compliment, so suddenly there's less compliment for me. That, that, that's what it does. It's like, it's like this is one big jug of compliments. I don't know. So it's like, it's like God is like, if I, if I show my love to this person, I have less love for you. He's like, no, look under, that's not the way it works. But I couldn't figure that out. And he's like, actually, in order for you to know that you're enough, you have to come to me. You're not going to find that you're enough over here outside of me. When you're in me and you know that you're enough and you know that I love you unconditionally, that breaks jealousy. And then you can really love and celebrate other people. Then you can share. Then you can, you, can, you can truly rejoice with others. And you can truly help release others to do stuff. Sometimes we can hold on to things because this is my thing. And if I'm not doing it and someone else is doing it, I won't be important anymore. And God's like, that's not true. That's not true. But when you understand how much I love you, that will go. You will let go of that. And so come back to me and realize who you are. Realize what I've called you to be. And then you can truly release others. And you know, the principle of heaven is that as we give, we receive. It's not as we receive, we receive. So as we give. And as we continue to give away, to be generous with our time, with our with what we do, with our skills, with, with the stuff we've learned and we pass on to other people. When we are diligent with that and when we're faithful with those small things, God gives us more. He gives us so much more. And so we have to be those who are constantly releasing, constantly trusting that God freely I have received. It's not because of me. It's all because of you. So freely, I want to give. Freely, I want to pass away so we can continue to flow. So we can continue to live in the love of God. So we can continue to be built up as your people and your church. The most excellent way is to live in the way of love. And you know, we may have come to the end of our slow down series, but love is slow. Love itself does not rush. You cannot love in a hurry because first and foremost, love is patient. It's like the first thing. Love is patient. Love is slow. It, it, it needs, you need to be slow in order to show compassion, to make room for people's errors, to make room even for yourself to make mistakes because we do. We are growing. We're always growing. But the way of love is slow. It doesn't rush. It makes room. And it gives space. When we go into God's presence and we take time and we're like, we just stop. 
and, 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 and we slow down when we say, fill me afresh. And that doesn't happen in a, in a rush. It doesn't happen in a rush. It's okay. I need to recalibrate. I need to be still before you. I need to hear again who you are and who you've called me to be. And from that place, I can love others. From that place, I can sit with the poorest of the poor. From that place, I can, I can, I can give of myself and I can love, but from a place of knowing who I am and from your love. You know, I think of, I mean, Mother Teresa's just great with this and she, she did so much. She was never in a hurry. People, people with great love are never in a hurry because they stop for everyone. And they have time for everyone, never in a hurry. And she says, not all of us can do great things, but we can all do small things with great love. The way we do life. So why don't you just put your hand on your heart, and I'm going to pray. Yeah, Father, we... We know that we, we fall short so many times, so many times even in one day. Because we can be impatient, we can, we can struggle in our own strength, we can think we're doing all the right things and saying all the right things, Lord Jesus, but you see what's going on in the inside. Where others may not, you see what's going on in our heart. And Lord, we don't want to be those who, you know... At the end of our life, we, we come and we say, Lord, we did this and we did that and we cast out demons, we built big churches and, and you say, go away from me, I don't know you. Because we never actually came to you and we never allowed our hearts to be fully transformed by your love. Father, we don't want to be those that do great things but not with the right motivation and the right intention. And Father, in this season, as we beckon and remember your coming, we pray, Lord Jesus, that you would fill us afresh with your love, that you would fill us with the understanding that you gave everything to us, not because we deserved it, but just because you love us. Would you remind us, Lord Jesus, that we are worthy of your love because you've made us worthy to be loved, because you created us, Lord Jesus. You made us and you're proud of us and you love us. Would you help us to know that we are enough, that you are enough in us, that there is no need to compete, that there is no need to be jealous, and that there's no need to hold on to things because you have more than enough to give us. And actually, when we keep our our fists tight, we're not able to receive from you. So Holy Spirit, we just ask you to help us open up our hearts and open up our hands so that we can be generous, so we can receive from you and so we can give. I pray that you would heal our hearts, Jesus, where there's hurt and unforgiveness, the Holy Spirit, you would release that right now by your power, and that you would help us to be the people of God that you have called us to be. The Father, even when no one's looking, you see what we do in love, and it counts. It counts in eternity when we do stuff, even when no one's looking. So help us, Jesus, to be content with that to trust you, to live for an audience of one and to do all that we do in and through the love of Christ. In your name we pray, amen. 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 Bless you guys.